I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Paul Moore, who I think probably doesn't need much of an introduction, but uh, first of all, Paul, uh, I'd just like to say thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. It's such a great honor to be here. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Paul, I, I would much rather than read your bio, I'd much rather have you just tell us kind of your background. Uh, I'm sure people have heard you on lots of other podcasts. You, you've you've already put a lot of value out into the space. So maybe just give us a quick rundown of your background and, and we can talk about whatever, whatever it goes from there. Absolutely. So um, yeah, I I was clueless and going through school. I mean, I got an engineering degree, which was a mistake. I got an MBA, which was not a mistake. I went to Ford Motor Company, which was great, but I, I just was itching to be an entrepreneur. So I started my own company. We um, um, we transitioned over and did a, lo a lot of different staffing type things. We ended up selling to a publicly traded firm in 97, 25 years ago. And I left that and I didn't really know what to do next. I had some years where I was kind of clueless. Uh, I, I did a nonprofit organization, which I loved doing. Um, but I was a, you know, mid 30 something entrepreneur. I got bored easily. I was pretty fast paced. I was a shiny object chaser, which was really bad for my investing. Um, you know, and I thought, well, as far as income wise, I thought I'm a full-time investor, but I really wasn't. I was more of a full-time speculator because I didn't know the difference between speculating and investing. And, you know, as Buffett says, you know, investing is when your principal is generally safe and you've got a chance to make a return. Speculating is when your principal is not at all safe and you've got a chance to make a return. And I was definitely a speculator more than an investor. And I made money, but I also lost money. Um, I got into real estate and I made a lot more money than I lost, but I still had a speculative mindset. I, I've got a lot of examples of that. Um, like the time I bought a five acre property, a waterfront property with the assumption that I could divide it into five one acre lots and found out later that that was not possible. Um, and that has a great story attached to it. If you want to ask me, I'll circle back and tell you how that one got resolved, yeah. um, which was really fun. And it, it connects directly to my big why. But um, at any rate, um, I ended up uh, involved in all kinds of residential real estate deals, selling waterfront lots, flipping houses, flipping duplexes and other multifamily. I built some houses, which was a big mistake for a guy who didn't know anything about construction. Um, and I, I just spent a lot of years kind of wondering, how do these guys get into commercial real estate? You know, like these Forbes 400 men and women who are the wealthiest in the country, they seem to be in commercial real estate. 
And I finally got thrust into commercial real estate in 2010 when I did an oil and gas speculation that turned into a um, opportunity for us to build housing for uh, oil workers in the North Dakota's Bakken region. And so I went from uh, multifamily into self-storage into mobile home parks. And now we've launched six funds with my company, Wellings Capital. So that brings us right up to today. So, so much there. I, let's, let's start. I want, I do want to hear how that story ends with the, the waterfront five acre property and, and it, in whatever order you like, but I think that, you know, speculation versus investing concept is a really important one. And I think that it's important to obviously to, to not be a speculator and be an investor, but I think it, it's probably something that when you, when you're talking to people outside the space, I think that they think that we're speculating. I think that they think when we have these, you know, opportunities, whether it's in multifamily or self storage or mobile, I feel like a lot of people that you're that are the retail investors think that it's all speculation. So maybe you can speak to that, the differences there, and and then yeah, tell us tell us how that story sort of ends with the five acres on the on the beach, which sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well. Um, so. Yeah, the speculating and investing thing, you know, uh, Warren Buffett says, if you don't learn to make money while you sleep, you will have to work until you die. And that's why I love passive investing. But I didn't really understand the nature of true wealth. I mean, it's great to flip houses. I'm all for it. Flip other stuff, too. But I wasn't building, at least in my case, I wasn't building true wealth. I think now I think that true wealth is owning assets that produce cash flow. And um, I wasn't doing that. I was actually just doing a lot of transactions. And I've got all kinds of businesses I can think back to where I had to do transaction after transaction to make money or to build wealth. And so when I discovered commercial real estate, when I, you know, eventually got into multifamily in 2011, I realized that, you know, that having assets that produce cash flow is a great way to go. And real estate specifically is, you know, the subscription concept, you know, Apple and all kinds of, you know, thousands, millions of companies know that, but having real estate specifically is something, you know, Warren Buffett, again, he's not a real estate investor, but he said, I would rather invest in Wrigley's gum than the internet, because I don't know where the internet will be in 10 years. I think I know how people will chew gum in 10 years. And it's the same with multifamily and other types of real estate. You know, I don't know what's going to happen with tech or Bitcoin or medical, you know, science and all kinds of things, even Facebook. Where is it going to be in 10 years? But I do know people will need a place to live. I know they'll be playing, paying rent. And if I'm not mistaken, Americans will still be storing a lot of stuff in storage and living in mobile home parks. And so these are the asset types that I really choose to uh, focus on. And another thing about real estate, of course, is, you know, we have the tax benefits of 1031 exchanges, and we have, you know, the opportunity to uh, do bonus depreciation to create losses for our investors and ourselves that, you know, provide tremendous tax benefits. And so those are some of the things you know, when I think about investing versus speculating, I'm really focused on, you know, another thing is circle of competence. When I started a wireless internet company with some friends 
in North Dakota in 2012, just because the commercial real estate was working out and we knew we needed wireless internet there. Well, that was outside my circle of competence. And that was a big mistake, even though it could have made tens of millions and every re we had every reason to believe it would, it was outside my circle of competence. And whether it turned out well or not, it didn't. Whether it turned out well or not, I would say it was a speculation. Totally. Yeah. I, I think of Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's partner. He's got a friend named John Ariega, who's in the, um, I believe he's in the Bay Area. John Ariega said, I'm only going to invest in real estate specifically within one mile of Stanford's campus. Now, his circle of competence is not real estate. It's not real estate in America or California or Northern California. It's real estate within one mile of Stanford's campus. And John Ariega is now a billionaire, according to Charlie Munger, because he did that one thing so well for decades. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really, really believe that if, if everybody would focus on their circle of competence and learn to invest and not speculate, they would build a tremendous amount of wealth, even if they were bored in the process, because real investing can be boring. Uh, um, the first Nobel Peace Prize win winner from the US in economics, Paul Samuelson said, investing should be boring. It should be like watching paint dry or watching grass grow. If you want excitement, take $800 and go to Las Vegas. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I'm sort of glad that you, you followed that up because you, you first said that investing could be boring. It's like, I think I hadn't heard that quote before, but it's like, it probably should be because yeah. that that means it's, you know, sort of just doing what it's supposed to. If it's if it's exciting, that means there are problems. That means there are big, you know, big ups and downs. And that's right. no longer really what what your your main goal is. Um, tell us about that house on the beach and the the that you thought you were going to subdivide yeah so um unless you make me i won't give you some of the details because i think it would be boring for most people but let me tell you the big the, the big picture story so in 2000 i'm gonna say six we bought a five acre waterfront parcel that could be it had the exact shape and the water frontage and the road frontage and the acreage to divide it into five one acre lots. It was just perfect. It was a nice big rectangle. And so we really believed that the county would certainly turn this private road into a public road anytime soon. That was extremely naive. And we were kind of on a bender. We were making so much money flipping waterfront lots for a you know, $100,000 profit. It was the most money per hour I've ever made doing anything. Um, and we were, it, this was at a, a resort lake in Virginia, uh, Smith Mountain Lake, where they filmed the movie, What About Bob? Um, okay. And anyway, um, I, I can't even get inside my head now and, and figure out why I would have thought that they would, you know, that they would make this into a public road. But at any rate, um, the, um, the waterfront, uh, the property that we, uh, sub that we got, we thought, well, you know, it's just, it's, it's $800,000. I think it was, I, I don't know why I have, it's 800, 850, something like that. 
And we, we went ahead and took a, and a loan on it. You know, at the time, loans were like flowing like water. And yeah. so we got a 100% loan on it with the thought, okay, we'll subdivide this and sell the five lots for about three to 500,000 each. And we'll, you know, we'll make a huge profit. And um, of course, then 2008 came along. It was actually fall of 2007. And my partner, you know, we had already seen a huge slowdown in selling lots. We had 2.5 million. I had a million and a half in the bank in 97 and two and a half million in debt uh, 10 years later in the fall of 07. And my partner said, you know, I can't pay half this interest rate anymore, half this interest. So January 1st, I'm signing the company over to you with the debt. And I don't blame him. I mean, he couldn't do it. So um, I um, ended up, uh, one of my heroes is a guy named George Mueller. Now, George Mueller was a guy who did uh, take, took care of orphans in Bristol, England, all through the 1800s. And George Mueller raised something like a quarter to half a billion dollars in today's dollars. And he never, ever did a fundraiser. He never wrote a letter. He never did any marketing. He raised all the money for these orphans. And I, he was just a really radical guy. He just thought different about everything. And I thought, what would George Mueller do? And I really believe, you know, in the go-giver concepts and, you know, the law of reciprocity and all those different things. And I really thought, well, if I give generously, I can't control what's going to happen to our company. I might end up going bankrupt, but I can control giving. And I really do believe in the law of giving and receiving. And I believe if I give, I'll receive much more back. Some people call it karma. And so I, um, I told my family and my friends and my CPA, we're going to start giving a set amount per week. And we're going to expect that God is going to do something to make this problem not go away, maybe, but at least that that something's going to happen that's going to radically shift our situation. And so we started giving a lot of money, I mean, a set amount of money every week, starting January 1st, 2008. Now, you've got to remember uh, that we had no idea, Jason, that we were about to plunge down the deepest, darkest hole since the Great Depression. We assumed yeah. the worst was over. I don't know why we assumed the worst was over, but we did. And so January 1st, we started giving four weeks into January, like the last week of the month. In other words, we I had a chance kind of random meeting with a real estate developer at a Subway restaurant at Smith Mountain Lake. And he said, uh, hey, I, um, uh, I, I said, I told him, I said, I've, I've got this huge problem, two and a half million dollars in debt. I think it's I have a number in mind, 18,000 a month in mortgage and interest payments. I said, can you help me? And he said, yeah, you ought to try this. This is what I don't really want to go into for time's sake. And I said, no, nah, that won't work. I said, that is just like a, 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 a I, I get that. That's a, it's a little link. It's, it's a little obscure law that a lot of people don't know about. I said, I've already tried that. I checked with the county that won't work. He said, well, you ought to try thinking about it differently. And I had this massive light bulb moment where I said, wait a minute, what if I turned the law on its head and looked at it re in reverse? Two days later, I was in the county planning and zoning department laying out this plan to subdivide this five acres into five one acre lots. And the lady at the end of me presenting this, she looks up over her glasses and she's like, 
Mr. Moore, I've been working in this office, I think she said 30 or 35 years, and nobody has come up with such an outrageous plan to circumvent our law. Then she smiled and she said, but you did. And she said, you're right. She said, our law has a loophole in it and no one's ever figured it out but you, apparently. And she said, I'll approve your request. She said, you're, you're approved. If you can do this and this and this, which was easy, you're approved to subdivide your land. Well, there was a lot of work left. I had to meet with bankers. I had to convince a bank to do something almost impossible. I had to convince surveyors. Well, the survey was easy, but I had to convince the, these uh, soil scientists to give me this wonderful uh, engineered system on all five lots and a lot of other stuff. But at any rate, uh, 13 months later, in the worst time of the Great Reset, you know, the Great Recession in spring of 2009, I was 100% debt free. I even paid off my house. Wow. I mean, it, it's a great story, even with, with even without all the details, because the, the point is, you know, maybe a little bit of luck, but mostly just creative thinking. Right. Like that's that's the point of being an entrepreneur is, is problem solving. Right. So here's here's this problem in your way. Your sounds like your partner sort of just didn't even want to think about it and just, you know, walked away. And then you solved the problem and and, you know, made tremendous money from it. So it's it's just a it, it's it's a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking about the approach to what's in front of you and, and life in general. So I, I think that's fantastic. Now, I know you have sort of, you were big on multifamily and you've switched asset classes. Do, do you want to walk us through that a little bit? Just kind of why, why you switched, what your, what your yeah. thought is. Um, and maybe even yeah. especially right now in the, with what's going on with the market, maybe that, uh, I don't know if that <laughs> is, uh, proves your thesis or what, what you think, but, uh, maybe, maybe take us through that. Yeah. So I, I want to be clear that I wasn't as clear, you know, let's say five years ago on what I'm saying as I am now, a lot of it was aha moments along the way, but it, it would be way too long of a story to go into all those aha moments. So, um, you know, I wrote a book called the perfect investment and the perfect investment was all about multifamily. And I have all the reasons, the demographics, you know, the loan defaults, all the, you know, showing why, you know, immigrants and Gen Z and millennials and baby boomers and all this stuff, you know, why they need multifamily housing, why there was a major short shortage after the 2008 to let's say 13 era um, and why it was the perfect investment. And I still believe that. But Jason, the perfect investment is not perfect if you have to overpay to get it. And that's what I didn't think of when I wrote the book. And so, you know, the book's still out there. The book's still selling fairly well. But the truth is uh, the perfect investment was not perfect if, you know, I mean, let, let's, I mean, you can think of that for anything, you know, let's say you find the perfect house but the price is double your budget. Well, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. It's the same way with multifamily. In my opinion, it seems to me for years, it for where it was in the cycle, it, it's been overpriced. 
And so I've got friends like the guy I met for lunch today from Virginia Beach, <laughs> who his team has an incredible track record for finding incredibly undervalued deals that have a lot of hair on them, but they have a lot of upside. Well, I wasn't finding those deals. My company, my team was not finding those opportunities. And so as a result, we were just spinning our wheels on multifamily. And we finally decided we needed to look outside multifamily. And we first looked at self-storage, then mobile home parks, then later other asset classes like RV parks. And we found in these asset classes, Jason, just tremendous number of mom and pop operators. These operators typically don't have the desire or the resources or the knowledge to increase um, to increase the uh, value of the facility by increasing income. And so, you know, they typically don't do the improvements. They don't have to. I mean, look, the cap rate has already compressed from, let's say, 10% in mobile home parks to, to let's say, 5%. So they've already doubled the value of their facility, even though they continue to be mediocre, just like they were last decade. And um, so acquiring these and paying them full price, let's say a 5% cap rate with significant upside, significant meat on the bone has turned out to be a gold mine for the operating partners we work with. Now, Wellings Capital, you know, so, and again, I didn't have this aha moment five years ago, I, it came along later, but we realized, you know, Hey, we can't be Michael Phelps. I mean, if Michael Phelps would have tried to win 27 gold medals by, you know, competing in shot put and javelin and long jump and all these different sports, he would never, you probably would never have heard of him, but he hyper-focused on the events in the pool. And so that's why he became the most decorated Olympian, and to my knowledge, at least in history. And it's because he was hyper-focused like Charlie Munger's friend, John Ariaga in, uh, in Stanford. And so we decided to become a fund that gave our investors a, a whole bunch of Michael Phelps, you know, a whole bunch of people who were hyper-focused on their one thing that they did really, really well. And by doing that, by coming up with, a fund to give people diversification across different asset classes, different operators, different geographies, different strategies, all within recession resistant asset types. Uh, we thought we could give our investors superior in returns, superior risk protection, and justify our existence as getting a fee, uh, which added to you know the investor's cost burden. And so that's what we've been doing for years. We've got six different funds. Uh, we just launched our new fund, uh, the Wellings Real Estate Income Fund. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, it makes, I mean, it makes total sense. The, the I mean, things are, I think things are, we're in for a little bit of a change here in terms of the pricing of all these assets, but, but yeah, things were getting so kind of out of control, uh, especially on the multifamily side. So it, that strategy shift makes makes a ton of sense. Um, uh, well, Paul, let's let's actually shift gears here, and, and I'll I'll ask you the questions that I like to ask every guest, so we have time to to get through that. Um, the first one I ask everyone is is based on the name of the show being know your why. But but what is your why at this point? I mean, you've you've been extremely successful. You've seen a lot. You <laughs> you wrote a book about the perfect investment, and then decided it was no longer the perfect investment enough to 
to move on and, and find others. So um, I think you have a, a wealth of experience and knowledge. What what would what is still pushing you forward at this point? Yeah. Um, if you took the record profits of Apple, General Motors, Nike, and Starbucks, record profits, added those together, double that number, you'd have the approximate profits generated by human trafficking every year, according to the U.S. State Department. It's a shocking number. And I'd like to believe that uh, if I was alive in the 1800s, I'd be an abolitionist. If I was alive in the 19, or at least an adult in the 1960s, I would have been fighting for you know civil rights. Well, this is a civil right. It is slavery, and it is the worst that in, in history of the world. Since you and I started speaking, approximately 300 people have been sold or captured into slavery. And um, so it, it, it's, it's a travesty. And so my company, Wellings Capital, and me personally, uh, we're trying to do everything we can to raise awareness about this horror and also to raise funds to try to fight human trafficking and rescue its victims. It's a phenomenal cause. It's, I've actually had a few guests come on and, and talk about that. And I mean, I guess call it ignorance, but it's, it's like kind of one of those things that I guess isn't necessarily on my radar. And, and now I have two young kids and I hear people talk about it a lot more and I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is, this is obviously the, those statistics are alarming and, and quite frankly, shocking. I wouldn't have uh, expected the numbers to be that high, but um, clearly having that, that impact is, is incredibly important in, in fighting such a terrible thing. So um, I mean, thank you for bringing awareness and thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, second question is, tell us something about yourself that, that maybe isn't common knowledge, uh, a special skill, a hobby, um, and anything you're comfortable sharing. Yeah, this is fun. I was actually at a, a small group at our church recently, and they asked, you know, the, the game, uh, Two Truths and a Lie. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, I told this one, I, I was a Dayton, Ohio Golden Gloves champion, 1981. Um, and, um, that's the truth. Here's where it's sort of a lie. Uh, I was unopposed. Nobody, I was really big when I was a kid Yeah. and I was much, I mean, I weighed like 230 pounds, um, and because I was just, I, I played football and I was just big for my age. And so I was unopposed. And so I got the trophy, didn't have to fight, have my first fight two weeks later and got knocked out in 41 seconds. <laughs> that's, that's a great story. I, I, I mean, doesn't matter. You still, still won a golden glove, golden glove. That's a, uh, regardless of the competition, you still, you still won that. That's yeah. Right. You had to be there. Right. That's a, an important accomplishment. That's I showed cool. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what, what's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, uh, the best re way to reach out is, you know, I told you I, I spent years trying to figure out how to get involved in commercial real estate investing, and I wasn't sure where the best path was. And um, we found that uh, there, there are seven different paths. And I cover a lot of that in my new book, which is called Storing Up Profits, which is about self-storage. The last third of the book is dedicated to that. So that's one thing people can do is get the book for their own benefit. 
Um, or they can reach out to us at uh, Wellings Capital, W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S, wellingscapital.com slash resources. And with that at that site, they can get a free special report on how, you know, different ways to get involved in commercial real estate investing. Awesome. We'll put that, we'll put that all in the show notes. Um, Fantastic. Last question for you, Paul. What is a piece of advice that you would give to someone who's getting started in real estate, trying to get their investment journey going? What what would you tell them to help, you know, mm-hmm. kind of move them forward a little bit? Yeah, I get that question quite often, and I can't seem to get away from two answers. Um, One, I've already covered in a lot of detail, actually both, I guess. One was, um, you know, try not to get the same excitement you get as an entrepreneur from your investments. And so another way of saying that is allow it to be boring. You know, um, one of the greatest investors uh, ever um, said, investing should be boring if you're making money and if you're having fun. Wait, excuse me. He said, if you're having fun, you're probably not really making money and building real wealth. And so I would say, you know, consider the possibility that that guy, Johnny Ar- John Ariega around Stanford probably got bored in those 30 or 40 years and probably got tempted to do all kinds of stuff outside his circle of competence, but he didn't. And that's why he became a billionaire. Um, That's one, I would say, incredible focus. Be willing to be bored. That'd be one. And then the other um, piece of advice, real practically, would be I would get involved in commercial real estate one way or the other as soon as you can. Now, I've got a close friend and former business partner who's got 25 rental houses, and he's doing really, really well. But I, when I hear about his life, when I hear about the calls at midnight and the hassles he goes through and the burned up, you know, the, the fire in the unit and all that stuff, I just, I would rather do commercial real estate. And I found uh, it to be much more to my liking. And most people in commercial say they wouldn't want to go back. But yeah. most people in residential who say they would like to do commercial. I mean, the vast majority from my experience, at least. Yeah. And I feel the same in terms of just people I've talked to on the show is just a lot of people have either come from, you know, residential real estate into commercial, or they have that intention eventually to move that way. So makes total sense. Um, listen, when I say this- commercial, by the way, I include <clears throat> multifamily in that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The, the you know, sort of larger assets. Right. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on. I appreciate your time. This has been great and uh, super valuable, I think, for our listeners. So uh, appreciate appreciate having you on today. Thanks, Jason. It was such a joy to be here. And I, I really um, I wish you the best. And I thank your audience for taking the time to listen today. Awesome. Thank you. All right. With that, we will sign out. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.